Hello everyone, it's Friday the 27th of August and welcome to episode 70 of the Kite Podcast with me, Will Evans. And me, Ben Eagle. Today on the show, we're putting the UK in a global context, exploring the dynamics of global milk production at the moment and asking how competitive UK production is within this and how it might all shift with an increasing international and domestic focus on the environment. We are joined on the podcast today by Dr. Torsten Hemmer, who is Managing Director of the FCN Dairy Research Centre based in Kiel in Germany. We're also joined by Kite's Managing Partner, John Allen. He's also with us. And as always, everybody's favourite dairy market analyst, Chris Wilkland. Chris, it's over to you for the Milk Market Report. Where are you this week? Well, Gotten Morgan, everyone, and I'm bringing you my report from Company's House, where I've come to set up a brand new business to rival Torsten's mighty fine empire. It's about time he had some good competition, so I thought it might as well be me. So I'm setting up a brand new dairy analytics company that will be, by far, the most forward-looking, critically thinking, cutting-edge analytical business in the whole galactic dairy market. How about that, hey, Ben? That actually sounds pretty sweet, Chris. Yes, Ben, I think so. Sweet, <laughs> certainly will be. In ben, ben, may I interrupt? Because what you just explained, you have done the last 20 years, so it's all there. <laughs> this, this is the new kid on the block. And it will be so sweet, Ben, so sweet. I'm going to use that name in the title of my company. It's going to be insightful, perceptive, visionary. So stand aside, IFCN. And make way for the new kid on the block. I see sweet FA. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're waiting for that. You are Torsten. It's when it's when you only know half the joke and then the punchline comes down. You can be my first customer, John. Tell me how delighted you are. Oh. I think he's fantastic. <laughs> anyway, to start by showing how forward-looking my company is, I'll start with my predictions for last week's prices. And it was another positive week, folks. Very positive, in fact, I'd say. Across the main EU commodities, there were nine positive price movements, three neutral ones, and get this, no negative ones at all. And what do we do when that happens? We do this, Torsten. <laughs> we haven't had one of those in a while. <laughs> butter, butter is officially over 4,000 euros again and skim powder well over 2,500 euros. Two important psychological thresholds crossed there this week. Buyers aren't going to like it, though, but fortunately, we've got Torsten on the show to go out and tell them all to man up, suck it up, and stump up. Or as he'd say in German, man auf ob sauge est auf ob und stump auf. Try saying that without sounding cross. <laughs> you just can't. Anyway, one of the main reasons for the price increases is that milk volumes in Germany, and France for that matter, 
are, and I think this is right, Torsten, Worklif Grauenhaft, which according to Google Translate is bloody awful. And you probably will want to chat about that later. And EU volumes as a whole are pretty much the same as last year now. So um, in check, I would say. In the UK, butter is as high as 3,450, say some traders, others 3,350. They can't get that just yet. But cream is still in the low to mid 160s. So on the rise, but could do with being a bit higher on cream. On the futures, one in New Zealand, it doesn't really matter where we look. It's good news. Most price points on whole milk powder, skim milk powder, AMF and butter are up again. But it's not quite so good in Europe land. Skim milk prices may be up a touch, but butter isn't, although it's not down too much. And since nothing in Europe happens without Angela Merkel say so, perhaps you could have a word with her next week, Torsten, and put this right and sit on her knee and whisper sweet nothings in her ear about how important the butter futures are or something. On cheese, Edam and Gad are also climbing, so that's good, and Mott's is up over 3,000 euros again. Cheddar's firm, still it can weaken at this time of year during uh, low demand, but it hasn't, and the positive drivers are still there, so there may be increases in a couple of weeks. Finally, on milk volumes, again, if we aren't in trough week this week, we were in 2018, we might be next week or the week after where we were in 2019 and 2020. The trough is certainly earlier than it used to be, and I'm sure John will want to come back on that. Uh, it means milk volumes are pretty rubbish, which is helping fuel the spot price to between 33 and 36p. So there concludes IC Sweet FA's prophecy and predictions for last week. Next Friday, of course, we'll be into September. And I'll once again be harnessing the benefit of my fabulous hindsight to forecast what sort of prices we had in August. Don't miss it. I'll feed a saying, everyone. <laughs> Thank you, Chris. Um, Torsten, welcome to the show. Can you start off by telling listeners a bit about you and your background in dairy, please? Well, thank you. Um, well, where to start? Um, well, dairy is part of my DNA. I grew up on a dairy farm uh, close to Hanover, which is over 400 years in our family. Wow. So, it, wow. It, so that dates back to Elizabeth I, right? Yeah. Um, and uh, there's another interesting link to England. Um, and, uh, you know, there was a time where the king of Hanover became the king of England, yeah. right? Yeah. So that means I think our farm was probably 120 years British. Wow. But, uh, and I figured that out. And then Elizabeth II came in and then they, they had to give up the, the German territory and focus on England again. So, you know, I think our farm is already internationally grounded and um, so that has increased my curiosity <laughs> on international issues right now personally uh, you know i've chosen uh, after my high school um uh, two year two years practical experience working on dairy farms during my study times i've been working on dairy farms in belgium new zealand united states 
and England, Kent, in Tenterden, and I looked there how doorstep delivery systems worked, which we then implemented at our farm at home. So that was my farming story, right? Um, later on, I went to university, and I actually wanted to, to become a dairy breeder, right? Okay. But then I figured out that uh, dairy breeding in <clears throat> at university is only population genetics and mathematics. So then I went to economics because it was more real, uh, to, more closer to the real world. Can I, can, can I just welcome you, Torsten, because you are a giant in the dairy industry around the world. <laughs> it, we're really fortunate to have Torsten on today. So he's so well known around the world by so many dairy operators, companies and that. So it's great to have you, Torsten. Mm. Fantastic. Can, right. I, can I just add, John, the name Torsten <laughs> comes from Thor and Stone. So he's the ah. first Thor we've had on the show. Wow. Thors are intergalactic mega heroes. <laughs> <laughs> you really have been set up now, Torsten. <laughs> Thank you for making my day. Um, I might see it a little bit different, but I enjoy your description, right? I think that might be the best tangent we've ever had on the Coke podcast so, so far. <laughs> Could that be the new title of this, of this episode? <laughs> it's the Marvel superhero galaxy. <laughs> okay. All right. Um, many people will have heard Kite discussing and referencing IFCN data, Torsten, but can you share some insight into what your ambition for IFCN uh, is and was and what is its focus? Mm. Well, IFCN today is a network of people working together, uh, creating better understanding of the dairy world and with that helping people in the dairy world to make better decisions. So this, this network has developed out of my PhD, which I finished uh, in the year 1999. And those days I had a software model making dairy farming systems comparable. And the idea, why don't we connect people around the world working with one model and exchanging data, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so um, that's what I turned into a company 20 years ago. And since then we have been growing. Right now, I think we have around 100 uh, well, researchers from 100 countries participating, contributing data in. And there are around 140 agribusiness companies who are using our data for their operational market management, as well as therefore their strategic planning using our long-term outlook data. So today we're looking at the dynamics of global milk production uh, at the moment and where it might be heading. In your 2050 report, you predict that demand for dairy will grow globally. Where and what do you think is driving this and what sort of increase are you predicting? <laughs> Well, you know, let me let me start first with the way we do outlooks, right? You know, what Chris is doing uh, and, and John trying to predict uh, the next four weeks or three months is hard, right? Predicting the next 30 years is even harder, right? Um, yeah. and, but it's useful. It's a useful exercise to prepare what can come. And, you know, being in the industry for so long, and, you know, uh, we did the first long-term outlook in the year uh, 2011. And before this uh, this call, 
I just had a look what we predicted because doing long-term outlooks is good to look back, right? And the most interesting thing what we did those days, and it was a very simple approach. We said in 2011, guys, there will be 15 extremely exciting years ahead of us because milk, milk production will grow in these 15 years by 30%. And the volume is, is basically 10 times New Zealand, what we will have more in demand and supply. That was our prediction. And we will reach around 900 million tons of annual milk production by 2025. That was a prediction, right? People thought, hey, you are crazy. What are you doing there, right? And I must admit that our outlook was wrong. The outlook was wrong because we reached the 900 million tons annual milk production in the world, not 2025, but 2020. Mm. Wow. So, <clears throat> well, you know, what, uh, what does this story tell us on outlook, right? It's good to do them, right? To use them as a thinking tool to be prepared for a possible scenario. And then, uh, you know, uh, of course, every outlook will be wrong because you never hit the precise point. But what it tell, told us in 2011, we have a fantastic growing dairy world in front of us. So what does this now mean for today? Because this year, you know, we do every, ten, every year in March, we sit together and saying, how will the dairy world look like? And for, since two years, we predict something until 2050, right? So really long-term on that one. <clears throat> and uh, then we share that uh, with the world and ask for feedbacks. And some people said, hey, that's great. And some people say, hey, you are completely crazy. These uh, guys who say we're completely crazy uh, are really the ones we like most because they help us forward to, to, to develop the outlook for the next year. And then we have a global, probably right now, we have the most though probably the best global consistent dairy database covering every country in the world, knowing all the cows, uh, all the farms, et cetera, et cetera. So that's a little bit on the background, but now I think you are interested on what we now think 2050 is gonna look like, right? Yes. <laughs> yes, okay. Um, well, we think that dairy demand will grow by 50%. 50% and more milk demanded than we are right now. But this is in the scenario what we call pro-dairy. In our outlook, uh, the way we work, we usually define four major scenarios. And we define the scenarios by looking at the most uncertain, big drivers which we have. So for example, um, we defined this year, what is most uncertain, the biggest uncertainty uh, we have is probably the overall consumer preferences for milk. It could stay like this, it could become better or it could become worse and people just be fine to become vegan because they don't like dairy anymore. But we don't know, these are two, two uncertainties. The other big uncertainty is the overall economic growth and prosperity in the world and peace in the world could be good, could be eroding, right? Uh, and with, with that one, you have basically four, um, you have here the uh, situation of good politics and economics, here bad, and here you have uh, people love dairy, and here you have people not loving dairy. And then you have four scenarios. 
So the pro dairy is the one where we have economic development and peace, and the, uh, the dairy preference maintains at least on the level where it is right now. <clears throat> that is pro dairy. And then this box, milk demand will grow by 50%, and, and half of that comes by adding more people on the planet, and the other half by people drinking more milk uh, per capita per year. If you go into the other scenario, right? We have uh, <clears throat> the most, uh, well, the opposite scenarios. The economics goes to hell, politics is not doing the right job, and we are all going, uh, going vegan. And then we are moving in stagnation, so we are poor and vegans, right? That's the worst situation for dairy. <laughs> yeah. Then you have the third, the third scenarios where you have the prosperity, but you go vegan, right? or the, the vegan movement is really taking a large chunk of, of dairy demand. We call this, this scenario rich and picky. Uh, it will have a substantial uh, impact on, uh, on developed countries because the trend will probably start here. Dairy demand in, in Europe will, will drop. Milk supply will not drop. We will have much more dairy exports and world milk prices will go, not be very nice. Not a comfortable situation. And the fourth scenario is the one where we are poor, but like to drink milk, but can't afford it. So four scenarios, a difference, um, but at the moment, the most likely still for us um, is a pro-dairy scenario where we grow around 50% um, in milk demand. And it would mean that we need to add another milk volume of annually, milk volume of New Zealand, every year new on the planet somewhere to meet this demand. Awesome. Can I just come in there? I was talking to Arla yesterday and about the flexitarian diet and the move to less meat eating. Um, and what they told me is that cheese is a major beneficiary of that because as people move away from meat as a protein, they replace it with cheese. And um, demand for that, from the start of covid has really accelerated so it's it's funny how dietary changes have twists and turns and yeah. what looks like a negative becomes a major positive yeah no you're fully right i think uh, it's the same you know this is a push in demand it would strengthen the pro dairy box right um, the same was the movement of uh, people loving butter over margarine for certain reasons, mm -hmm. right? It, it pushed that box and, and uh, it overcompensates uh, the, the vegan development and the anti-dairy movement. But it, what's also quite interesting is when you all think about milk alternatives, uh, anti-dairy movements, etc., etc., it has not the impact on dairy demand because dairy demand is still growing uh, even with a stronger uh, space uh, or, or, or pace uh, in 2020 than 2019. Yeah, so there are a lot of stories out there. But if you you know what we in RCN do, we let's have a look on the facts, look, look on the data, and really measure what happens. And, and then the reality looks like you said much different. What I what I'm listening to here, Torsten is that where's the supply going to come from? Because 
Chris has already alluded to the fact that Germany and France, I think, is down in terms of what its appetite is to produce milk this year. Uh, I'd be interested in, first of all, your views on on that and in what the attitude is like in Germany. But, you know, if if Northwestern Europe isn't going to produce the milk and Oceania, New Zealand isn't because they can't, uh, there's only the U.S., left i mean what, what where, where, where's the supply going to come from first of all yeah what, what about the situation in germany mm. well uh you know at the moment uh we predict germany or europe uh, at a moderate growth until 2050 right uh, and moderate growth <laughs> uh, means for us a growth of 0.3 to 0.6 percent per year and that is half of what the genetical progress is. So we have uh, one to two percent more milk per cow per year, right? If the milk production grows is 0.5, for example, it means that we have a declining cow population, but still a growing milk supply. So, and uh, I think what people, you know, um, uh, and with that one, we see the, the Europe or European Union, um, excluding in, uh, UK, uh, growing around 14%. Mm. And with 14% growth and uh, not too much growing demand in Europe, we, you will accelerate exports on the world market. Now, that's quite interesting because your perception is really valid, saying, well, where shall the milk come from? It's it's local demand, local supply. And you see, like, you know, if we run Europe now on a technical progress on the milk yield side on 2% versus 1%, major impact. If you grow the the cow numbers, right, decline by 1% or keep them then on 0.5% decline or or, or stable has a major impact because it's a long time period and small percentage numbers. Mm. So what people I think oh underestimate in Europe, you know, unless in Europe we really push very very hard on agriculture and climate policies, uh, the milk could, could be there. So that's the European story. With the with the uh, Oceania story, I think Oceania we have about. Um, overall, six percent uh, production growth, but flat in exports, because we will move. Um, uh, Australia has so much population growth and so much dairy demand growth uh, that the additional production in Oceania will be probably eaten up by Australia and partly New Zealand. And when it comes to US, yes, US can be the winner. The next winner would be Latin America. And then, you know, you have still Eastern Europe and Russia uh, where you have production possibilities. Mm-hmm. Um, let's bring this back to a UK context. Um, Torsten, again, your view on, on how the UK compares internationally right now and perhaps looking a little bit ahead as well. Um, how, how competitive are we at the moment here in the UK? Yeah, you know, uh, the IFCN is benchmarking 50 countries, uh, and uh, uh, with that, we have a, a database on milk production costs, right, based on typical farms. And in that um, survey on this data, UK costs are around 40 US dollars, right? That is where the current world market price is at the moment. So, where, where are you compared to other European countries? 
you are better, better than Austria and Switzerland. Definitely, you um, you are not as good as Ireland, and you are not as good as Eastern Germany, having uh, access to much cheaper land and having probably the cheaper and lower wages. Uh, definitely, overall, I think you are in line with the uh, with US, and you are around 20% higher than New Zealand and Australia. And you are by 50% lower than China. <laughs> so I could also make a benchmark of Canada. You are, um, um, uh, you know, you are substantially lower than Canada as well. Um, okay. But I think your benchmark on UK to of direct competitors is basically uh, Ireland, Germany, France, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And most important, you know, that there's this international competitiveness on the factory market, but there's also farm competitiveness locally for labor, for other land users, crops, sheep, etc., beef, and you need to be competitive on the labor market, right? So competitiveness has a product element, production cost, and you need to be locally competitive to better pay a better price for the land than, than, than the labor than other agricultural farmers or other uh, employees uh, employees in the country. Then you have a prospering dairy sector. Prospering dairy sector. That's, uh, that's what we all like to hear. Um, Get out quick now. <laughs> <laughs> I think that is the natural place to leave it. But thank you so much. Just as, as John said, I think I think we will have to be back again. But that's all we have time for today. But a very big thank you to our guests today, Torstenham, John Allen and Chris Walkland. Yeah, thank you very much for listening. Please join us again next Friday. But for now, it's goodbye from all of us here.